good to see you. Yeah. Gonna turn it loose and sing tonight. Everybody just open your mouths and let it rip. Oh, I want to see him. I journey through this land, singing as I go, pointing souls to Calvary, to the crimson pole. Many arrows pierce my soul from without within, but my Lord leads me on through him I must win. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face, there to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. Let's turn around, shake hands, and fellowship one with another. Welcome our visitors tonight.
streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Heirs of past, home at last, ever to rejoice. Amen. We could see him any day, amen? It could be tonight. If he comes tonight, even so come, Lord Jesus. Good to have all of you here. Good to have those that are visiting with us tonight. We appreciate all of you being in the services and so glad you're here. So remember all the activities that's going on tonight. The Awana next door, our teenagers back in their midweek service. Last Wednesday night, they had 94 teenagers back there in their midweek service. Isn't that great? And uh, let's uh, thank the Lord for what he's doing there. Pray for them tonight. And then, of course, in here as we study the word of God, let's just ask the Lord to bless and move. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for bringing us together tonight as you have. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we have an opportunity to study your word. I pray tonight that you'll help us to grow in grace and grow through your word. I bless every song, every word. May it glorify the name of Jesus. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue to sing. Uh, if you will, let's all get a songbook. We haven't got this one entered up on top. We thought it was, and it's not. Page 470. What a day that will be. 470. Get your book now. All the first now. There is coming a day when no heart ain't shall come. No more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day, that will be. There'll be no sickness no pain no more parting over there and forever I will be with the one who died for me what a day glorious day that will be what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. Thank you. You may be seated. The set of ushers come forward to receive our offering. Remind you that your Wednesday night giving goes to support our Bible conference in the fall, so let me encourage you to give tonight. Let's pray. Father, bless the offering now. Thank you for the privilege to give. Continue to open our hearts up to the wonderful things you have for us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
sleep one night Never hears to awake again But everything was alright Between her and him So she awoke in heaven's courtyard Free from pain within The angels gathered round her And took her by the hand Terminated by angels Up to the throne Serenaded by
praise the Lord. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of James, chapter 3. The book of James, chapter 3. And we'll pick up where we left off last Wednesday night, verse 13. We'll read down through verse 18 and look at these verses tonight. And think about wisdom that is from above. Would you stand as we honor the public reading of his word? James 3, verses 13 through 18. Wisdom that is from above. James talks to us about wisdom, wants us to understand what real wisdom is and understand what false wisdom is. Verse 13, he asked the question in the beginning, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Thank you. you. May be seated. Let's pray. And then tonight we'll look at these few verses and learn a little bit about wisdom that is from above. Father, we do thank you for the wonderful promises of your word. And we thank you, Lord, that even in the hour of death we're not abandoned by you. You do not fail us nor forsake us. But we thank you, Lord, that you are with us, that you send your heavenly escort to take us home. For all of these things, we thank you for. Thank you, Lord, that from beginning to end, that your grace is always there. It is sufficient, and every need of our life is met. Now, thank you, Lord, for your word. We want to be wise people. So tonight, speak to us about wisdom. Put within our heart a hunger for wisdom. Help us to understand wisdom. And then in the understanding of wisdom, may we seek wisdom. So we ask you now, Lord, that you will speak to hearts and touch us as we study your word. For it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I think about the matter of wisdom and knowledge. I am reminded that knowledge can be a very, very beneficial thing at certain times. I read about one fella that was skydiving for the first time. First time he ever done it. And when he jumped out and pulled his ripcord, his parachute didn't open. Then his auxiliary chute failed. And so this fella, his first time to ever skydive, found himself in a free fall without knowledge about what to do in this situation. But then a strange thing happened. He noticed and spotted something coming up towards him from the ground at a high rate of speed. And he watched, and as he got closer, he realized it was a man. And the man shot by him, and as he shot by him, he shouted out at him. He said, do you know anything about parachutes? And the fellow hollered, shouted back at him, no. Do you know anything about gas stoves? Well, may I say tonight that sometimes knowledge can be beneficial. I read somewhere not too long ago that the world's body of knowledge doubled between 1900 and 1950. Now, you think about that. After thousands and thousands of years of accumulating knowledge, 
All of that knowledge doubled in 50 years, from 1900 to 1950. But not only that, that knowledge doubled again between 1950 and in 1965. Thousands and thousands of years doubled in 50 years, and then all of that doubled again in just 15 years. And it is estimated that the world's knowledge again doubled more, once more, between 1965 and 1970. And it is estimated that our knowledge doubles and even more than doubles at least every four to five years. Again, you think about that, it's an amazing thought to realize that thousands and thousands of years doubled in 50 years, and then all of that knowledge doubled in 15 years, and then all of that knowledge doubled in five years, and it continues to double every four to five years. I think about man's knowledge, and I think you'd all agree that there are things that we accept as a normal way of living and a normal part of life that 10 years ago we never dreamed would even be around here or even be possible. And there are things that are going on in our day and time because of man's knowledge, because of man's ingenuity, because of man's expertise and development of his knowledge and skills. There are things happening today that a generation ago nobody would have ever dreamed possible was to happen. Our knowledge is constantly expanding. But I want you to understand something tonight. Knowledge and wisdom are two separate things. It is possible to have a lot of knowledge, but not to have a lot of wisdom. It is possible to have very little knowledge, but to have a lot of wisdom. And it's possible to have both knowledge and wisdom. But knowledge is not wisdom. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts. It is learning things. It is discovering things. It is gathering information, learning information, growing in knowledge and growing in the understanding of how things work and how things come to pass. It is accumulation of facts. But wisdom is the ability to apply the, what you know or those facts to life. And when you look at what James has to say about wisdom, you find that wisdom is even more than that. It is not only the ability to apply those facts to life, but it's the ability to, to apply the facts or the knowledge that we know to life in a righteous and in a godly way. For you understand wisdom and we see what wisdom really is, then you understand that wisdom is the ability to draw the right conclusions. It is the ability to take what we know, to put it to a, a practice in our life, to apply it in our life in a righteous and a godly way. It is the ability to come to the right conclusion about things. That's wisdom. You can have knowledge but not come to the right conclusion about matters. But wisdom, as we see in the Scripture tonight, is the ability to come to the right conclusion about things. And when I say coming to the right conclusion, that is the coming to the conclusion of the right conclusion, understanding things from God's viewpoint and understanding things from God's perspective. It is understanding God's plan, God's purpose, God's principles, and His will in the world and interpreting everything in the light of God's will and God's plan and purpose for this world, for our nation, and for our life. Now, when you understand that, you realize that there are men that have knowledge, but they do not have wisdom. I think about Einstein. Einstein, no doubt, was a very brilliant man had a tremendous IQ. In fact, he was such a genius that when he died, they took his brain out. And they dissected his brain in, into several sections and studied it, hoping to find the secret to his genius. But I think about in a conference or in a meeting somewhere, he, he urged religious leaders to abandon their personal 
doctrine of God for the ethical good of mankind. Now, I would say that Einstein was a knowledgeable man, that he was an intellectual man, but he was not a wise man because knowledge is accumulation of facts, but wisdom has been able to apply those facts and come to the right conclusion from a perspective that is divine. It has been able to take what you know and apply it in life based on God's plan, God's purpose, and God's will for your life. Learn these two differences about knowledge and wisdom. There's, the difference between knowledge and wisdom is basically this, and you can fill these in in your blanks. Knowledge is learned. You can learn knowledge. You can get knowledge from books. You can get knowledge from education. You can get knowledge from experimenting and so forth. Knowledge is learned. But understand this, that wisdom is given. Wisdom is something that is imparted to us. Wisdom is something that is bestowed upon us. Wisdom is something that has been given to us. Knowledge is in the head, but wisdom is in the heart. As I said, you can get knowledge from books, but you get wisdom from the book, which is the Bible. Knowledge is a natural way of learning, but wisdom is a supernatural way of learning. Knowledge can come from education, but wisdom can only come from salvation and a relationship to God. You can gain knowledge through certain methods, but wisdom is something that is given to us. So knowledge is learned, wisdom is given. Again, you can have little knowledge, but you can have great wisdom. I have known people through the years that didn't have a lot of education and they didn't have a lot of knowledge as far as certain things were concerned, but yet I viewed them as being very, very wise. And the reason they were so wise is because wisdom is something that God gives. Wisdom is something that comes from God. You are not wise because of what you know. You are wise because God gives you wisdom and wisdom allows you to take what you know and to come to the right conclusions in your life. I say all that about wisdom because when James talks about wisdom, he is talking about something that is given by God. You remember James 1 verse 5? He said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So the source of wisdom is God. And the way we get wisdom is from God. Now let me give you, point out three things from our text tonight. And let's look at the scripture briefly. The first thing that I want you to notice is this. I want you to notice in what James has to say about wisdom, a wisdom that is visible. You have a wisdom that is visible. In the very beginning of the subject of wisdom, James talks about the evidence of wisdom. You remember in James chapter 2, he talked about the evidence of a person's faith? He said, faith without works is dead. He was not saying that faith and works combined produce salvation. He is not saying that you've got to work in order to be saved. No, he said that your works is the evidence of your faith. I will show thee my faith by my works, what James said. So in James 2, you find the evidence of faith. But now in James 3, you have the evidence of wisdom. James 1, 5, he said, ask God for wisdom. Now in James 3, verse 13, he tells us who has wisdom. Now, who is a wise man? Notice what he talks about. Notice the verse again, verse 13, and these two things. The first is this. You find a wise man that is sought. A wise man that is sought. Here's the question that James imposes. Who is a wise man? He says, who is a wise man? And who is endued with knowledge among you? It's like James, to those that he's writing to, 
He's searching for somebody that is wise. And he asks his readers, who among you is wise? Who among you is endued with knowledge? And he uses wisdom and knowledge here synonymously. But he's talking about who of you, who among you is wise? Who among you has the ability to understand and understand things correctly and understand things rightly? You find him searching for a wise man. Now, when you understand what the Bible has to say about wisdom and you understand the premium that God puts on wisdom in the Bible, then you understand why James searches for a wise man among his readers. For example, just mark your place and turn to Proverbs 4 and notice verse 7. To give you just an idea of the premium that the Bible puts on wisdom, look in Proverbs chapter 4 and notice verse 7, just one verse alone. And there are many other examples of seeking wisdom, acquiring wisdom as, as encouraged by the Bible. But in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7, we read these words written by the wisest man that ever lived, a man who sought wisdom above wealth and riches. But in Proverbs 4 verse 7, the Bible said wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding. The Bible tells us that wisdom is a very, very important thing. It's a principal thing it is called. And for that reason, we are to seek for wisdom. We are to get wisdom. We are to acquire wisdom in our life. And with all of our getting, we are to seek after wisdom. And with all of our heart, and with all of our mind, and with all of our soul, we're to seek after wisdom in our life. The Bible is putting a premium on this matter of wisdom. Now again, I go back to the definition I gave you a moment ago. And this helps you to understand why wisdom is a principal thing and why James would be seeking for a wise man among them. Again, wisdom is the ability to see things from God's perspective. I think about one writer. He spoke of wisdom as a vertical thrust of the mind of God into our minds, making discernment possible on the horizontal level of human affairs. Can I say that again? Wisdom is the vertical thrust of the mind of God onto the mind of man, making discernment possible on a horizontal level of human affairs. In other words, wisdom, again, is seeing things from God's perspective. It is understanding things from a biblical viewpoint. Now, that's one of the reasons our world is in such a mess. That's one of the reasons our nation is in such a mess. We have men that have great skills and men that have great talents and men that have great knowledge that run this country, but they do not interpret things from God's perspective. And they do not look at things from a biblical viewpoint. They look at it from their own viewpoint. They look at it from a political viewpoint. They look at it from another viewpoint. And that's the reason we're in a mess. When you think about how we need to understand and everything needs to be governed by what God says and understand the will of God and the purpose of God and the plan of God for this world, our nation, and our life, that it's very, very understandable why James seeks for somebody that is, has wisdom. So he prays and he, says, and he asks the question, who among you is a wise man? And again, Wisdom is seeing, thing from, seeing things from God's point of view. I think about four murals that I read about in the, I read about the Rockefeller Center in New York. And I've never been there, but I read about these four murals. And there are four of them, they're side by side according to what I read. The first one is a primitive man laboring with his hands. 
attempting to survive his alien environment. Next to it is another mirror or painting. It's a portrayal of man having become the creator of tools and the comforts of civilization have multiplied. Then you come to the third mural and you have, both, have man both as master and servant to machines and the vast forces of the world are under the directive and the control of man. But then you come to the fourth mural and it's almost like it's out of place in relation to the other three murals because on the fourth mural, surprisingly, you have a painting or a mural of Jesus Christ. And the setting is him delivering the Sermon on the Mount. And around him are struggling to reach him are masses of men, women, and children. And underneath the mural, you have these words. Man's ultimate destiny depends not on whether he can learn new lessons or make new discoveries or conquests, but on his acceptance of the lessons that was taught here by him over 2,000 years ago. And I agree with that. You see, wisdom is understanding God's viewpoint and understanding from things from God's perspective and applying that. But you not only see a wise man that is sought, but second of all, you see a wise man is seen. For notice what he said in verse 13. Who is a wise man? Who is someone that is endued with knowledge among you? And then he said, let him show, let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Again, chapter 2, he said, I'll show you my faith by my works. Now in chapter 3, he said, I want you to show me that you're a wise man. In other words, what he's saying is that a person that is wise is a vi that, that the wisdom is a visible matter. That the word that he uses show here means to put on display. That if he asks who is a wise man, and then he says in effect that someone that is wise, that wisdom would be on display. And he talks about how that wisdom would be displayed. It would be displayed in both one's action and in their attitude. For you notice he talks about uh, show out of a good conversation his works. That word conversation... It does not refer to what we say. It has to do with our behavior. In other words, James says that one, one of the telltale signs of wisdom, who is a wise man? A wise man will display his wisdom. He'll display his wisdom in how he walks. He'll display his wisdom in his behavior. Who is a wise man? I'll tell you who a wise man is. A wise person, a wise man, woman, boy, or girl is somebody that lived for God. They live a life that pleases God. They live a life, a good conversation of works and deeds and things in their life. A wise person walks with God. A fool makes a mock at sin. And a fool leaves God out of their life. And a fool lives their own life. But a wise man, he walks as God wants him to walk. But not only talks about in conversation, his behavior and his works, but also with meekness of wisdom. That word meekness there, for us, we have the ideal of weakness, but when the Bible talks about meekness, it is not talking about weakness. The particular word that is used here was a word that was used to describe a wild horse being broken for the benefit of its master. The ideal is to being submissive. Meekness is the ideal of being submissive to a master. You want to why? You know who a wise person is? A wise person is revealed by how he lives. And a wise person is revealed by what he does. A wise person is someone that lives the way God wants them to live. And a wise person is someone that will do what God wants them to do. 
They'll be submissive to the will of God in their life. They'll be submissive to the plan of God in their life. They'll be submissive to the teachings of the Bible. It's more than a book sitting on a coffee table. It's the Word of God, and they'll be submissive to that. You'll know who's wise? Those that live for God and those that do the will of God in their life. That is a wise individual. A fool doesn't live for God. A fool rejects the will of God. It is foolish for me to say no to God in any area of my life. A wise man, wisdom, manifests itself and the willingness to submit to what God's Word tells us to do and what the will of God leads us to do. So it's evident in our life. It is manifested in our life. Who is a wise man? It is seen in their life. Wisdom is visible. But look at the second thing. Are you still with me now? Say amen. Not only do you see a wisdom that is visible, but the second thing James points out is what I want to call a wisdom that is vile. And I use the vial in a wisdom that is depraved, a wisdom that is distorted, a wisdom that uh, is, is contrary to everything that God plans for our life. It is a wisdom that is vile. Verse 14, verse 15, and 16, he talks about this wisdom. Notice this statement in verse 15. The wisdom that he describes in verse 14, 15, and 16, he said in verse 15, this wisdom... This wisdom descendeth not from above. Immediately he draws our attention to what he's talking about. He said, now, wisdom, a man that is wise, that wisdom will be revealed in his life. It'll be revealed in the good conversation of his works. It'll be revealed in the meekness of his, of his uh, wisdom. It'll be revealed in how he lives for God. It'll be revealed in how he wants to do what God wants him to do. But there's another kind of wisdom, he says, a wisdom of this world that is not from God. It is not from above. So what does he talk about this wisdom? Two things. One, notice the origination of this wisdom. Look at verse 15. This wisdom that he describes that descends not from above or not from God, he said in verse 15, it is earthly, it is sensual, and it is devilish. It's like the trio found in Ephesians 2 of the world, the flesh, and the devil. They all basically fall in the same category. He said there is a wisdom of man that is not of God, a wisdom that man brags about that is earthly, sensual, and devilish. Look at these three things. He talks about a wisdom. He talks about this wisdom as being secular wisdom. He uses the word earthly here. See the word earthly? The word that he uses here is a word that speaks of that which is limited to the physical and limited to the material. In other words, there is a wisdom of this world that judges everything by the physical. There is a wisdom of this world. Corinthians talks about the wisdom of this world in contrast to the wisdom of God. But there is a wisdom of this world that is earthly. It is governed, it is bound, it is limited to what one feels it is limited to the physical and is limited to the material. It is a secular type wisdom. Everything is interpreted through the physical. Everything is judged through the material. The conclusions that are drawn are drawn, sifted through the secular, sifted through the earthly, sifted through the physical and the material. There is a wisdom. It talks about this wisdom. It is secular. But you'll notice, secondly, he talks about it being sensual. And you see the word sensual there is a word that literally means fleshly. 
It is a word that describes our desires. It is a word that describes our appetites. It is the natural opposed to the supernatural. It is that of this world that is an opposite of another world. It's like the world, the flesh. It is that going in one direction, a direction that is opposite of the direction that God is going. He says there is this wisdom that the world has. It is a wisdom that is secular. It is, it is based on what is physical. It's based on the material. It is a wisdom that is sensual. It is a wisdom that comes from what person feels. It is what they desire. It is the appetites of their flesh. It is a desire that is formed and conformed by this world and this world system around us, a system that is going the opposite direction of God. There's a wisdom that the world has that is merely sensual. Then he says not only is it secular, sensual, but he also tells us that it's satanic, for he adds that it's devilish in verse 15. And the word devilish there simply refers to demonic, basically means to be satanically inspired. It comes from the devil. The devil is the author and originator of this kind of wisdom. That's the reason that the wisdom of the world is earthly, because that's the way Satan operates. That's why the wisdom of this world is sensual. It is earthly, it is sensual because it is satanic. It is devilish. You remember in the Garden of Eden when the devil first appeared to Eve and first appeared to man? He appeared to Eve on the basis of increasing her knowledge. You remember that? He said, thou shalt know good from evil. He came and appealed to Eve on the basis of her desire to know more. But yet it was a knowledge that would benefit herself, not a knowledge that was confined to the will of God for her life. And so Satan got her to violate the principles of God's Word by appealing to her knowledge. That's where this wisdom of the world comes from. And the reason the wisdom is secular and sensual is because it is devilish. Instead of drawing conclusions that are right, people draw conclusions that are wrong. Instead of drawing conclusions that are eternal, they draw conclusions that are earthly. Instead of drawing conclusions that are according to God's perspective, they draw conclusions according to their own perspective. And again, that's why this world of ours is in such a mess. That's why the things that are going on in our society and like things happening in the United States of America that are endorsed and accepted and promoted in our society that 10 years ago were in the, in the closet. Now they become accepted. Why? It's all built around the wisdom of this world. Everybody says this is right. But yet when you look at the Bible, we know that it is wrong. Why does one group say this is right and another says it's wrong? It's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. It's a difference between seeing things from an earthly, sensual, and devilish perspective and seeing things from a biblical and a godly perspective. There is a wisdom of this world that originates in the earthly, the sensual, and the devilish. But notice something. He sandwiches that, is, that statement, verse 15, is sandwiched around the operation of this wisdom. There's the origination of it. It is secular, sensual, satanic. But look at the operation of this wisdom. Notice what he said in verse 14. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. 
Verse 16, for where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Now, he talks about the outcome or the operation or how this worldly wisdom manifests itself. He said, a man that is wise, wisdom, his wisdom will be revealed in how he lives. But this worldly wisdom will be revealed just as well in how a person acts and behaves. And he describes the kind of behavior that comes out of this worldly wisdom. And you can understand why these things come out when you realize that man draws conclusions based on what is physical, what is material, based, draws conclusions based on what his appetites are, the unconverted appetites of man, and bases his conclusions on what the devil is directing him to base them on. It's no wonder that these kind of things come out of this kind of wisdom. What comes out of it? For one thing, he tells us envying comes out of this kind of wisdom. Verse 14, but if you have bitter envying, and verse 16, for where envying and strife is. The word envying that he uses there is a word that literally means jealousy. When he's talking about envying, he's talking about a jealous person. Verse 14, he uses the adjective bitter envying. And the word bitter that he uses there speaks of something that is pointed, something that is sharp. And the matter of bitter envying or the matter of bitter jealousy it refers and has the idea of how harsh and how cruel a jealous person can be. We've all known jealous people through the years. Someone gets jealous because another gets to sing more than they do. Or someone gets jealous because someone got this job in the church and they didn't get the job. Or someone's jealous because someone has more, they, they have less and whatever. Jealousy can be motivated by many things. And sometimes a very jealous person can be very harsh in their behavior to other people. They can be very cruel in the things they will do. There's that envying there. It comes from this kind of reasoning in life. It comes from this kind of uh, wisdom in life. Since you're basing everything on your physical, basing everything on your material, basing everything on your appetites, then there's only one person that's number one, and that's you. You have a humanistic viewpoint of life, and so you're building everything and doing everything based around what you want, desire, and wish. And for that reason, it doesn't bother you or bother anyone just to stop over someone else to reach their goals. Jealousy. But then he also says that strife comes out of this kind of wisdom. Verse 14, if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts. Verse 16, for where envying and strife is. The word strife there, we think of the ideal of division, and that could come out of it. But the word strife here that is used is a word that talks about selfish ambition. The word strife that is used here was originally used to speak of someone sowing thread for hire, like someone uh, taking a job as a seamstress, and they take that job so they can earn wages, and they want to earn wages for their own personal uh, desires in their life. They're not working for free. They're working they're for hire. They're working for wages in order that they might make money. And then it began to evolve into a word that brought in anyone working for any particular thing for a personal reason or a personal gain out of the matter. He's talking about selfish ambition. That when there is this kind of wisdom, this wisdom that is not from above, a wisdom that is secular, sensual, and satanic, that is a wisdom that results in selfish ambition. It would carry the idea of manipulation, doing whatever you have to do in order to get done what you want to do, or to have what you want to have, or to be what you want to be. Strife. 
He also tells us that it results in confusion. For where, verse 16, for where envy and strife is, there is confusion. Like confusion is really the outflow of envy and strife. The word confusion that he uses there is a word that speaks of disorder and disturbance. It's a word that sometimes is used, always brings about disturbance. The majority of church problems, and there have been some situations in churches that have been legitimate. With a situation where modernism was creeping in, things were being tolerated that should not, sin was abiding in there sometimes. That has been the reason for church dissension and problems in the church. But the majority of church dissension and the majority of church problems was due to the fact that somebody wasn't getting their way. They the way they thought it ought to. I think it ought to be done this way. I don't like the way you're doing it. I think it ought to, we ought to do it this. We ought to get this or not do this and whatever there. And their, their whole thinking is not based on how will it benefit the entire congregation. Their whole thinking is around what does it, how do I like it? Will it benefit me? Confusion, disorder, all of it coming out of this envying and strife. And then he says it results in every evil work. The word work simply refers to deeds, evil deeds. And the word evil there talks about not just that which is evil, as we might think, but that which is worthless. It results in worthless deeds, fruitless, valueless deeds in our lives. It results in every kind of evil, worthless deed in our lives. How does James, what does he say about all this in verse 14? He said, don't glory in that matter. Glory not. Don't boast in how you're out for number one. Don't boast in your jealousy and selfish ambition. That's nothing to be proud of. Nothing to be proud of you living for yourself and, and climbing the ladder of success and no matter who you hurt and stop to get there. That's nothing to brag in. He says, glory not in that kind of attitude. Glory not in that kind of wisdom. That in fact, it's a violation of everything the Bible teaches. And deny that, he said, is to lie against the truth. He said, don't lie or rebel against what you know is right. Don't glory in that matter. It is a wisdom that is vile. But then he moves into the third thing, and that is a wisdom that is virtuous. There's a wisdom that is visible. Wisdom is seen. But there's a wisdom that is vile. It is not from above. But then you notice in verse 17, he said, but the wisdom that is from above. Now he talks about what real wisdom is. He talks about that which, is come, that which comes from God, that which is given by God, given from God. It is from above. It is a wisdom, as we'll see in verse 17 and 18, that is virtuous. Now what does he say about this wisdom from above? Notice the motive of wisdom from above. Notice how he says this. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. When he said it's first pure, then so on and so on, he distinguishes the matter of purity and this matter of wisdom. He sets it apart. He says, first of all, understand this, that wisdom is pure. Now, what did he mean by pure? The word that he uses there refers to that which is free from contamination. There is no defilement. There is no stain there. It has not become contaminated or defiled by the world around that individual. It is free from contamination. The ideal is of the motive of the individual that he's talking about, that they're driven by this passion to be pure. 
They're driven by this desire to be unspotted from the world. They're driven by this desire to want to please God in everything. He talked about in verse 14 or verse 13, a good behavior, a good conversation, a submissive, a submissive spirit to God. And now he says it is first of all and above everything else, it is motivated by desire to be right. It is motivated by a desire to be pleasing to God, not contaminated by this world. What is this wisdom from the above? Is a wisdom that has this as a motive. You want to be a wise person? Then the motive of wisdom, godly wisdom, wisdom that comes from God, the motive is to be unspotted from the world. Look at not only the motive of wisdom, but the marks of wisdom from above. Verse 17, after saying it's first pure, then he lists several things. He says, first of all, that it is peaceable. The ideal of peaceable is that it produces fruit, not strife. The wisdom this world has talked about, it's just talked about, produces strife, jealousy. And all of that results in disorder and disruption and disturbance and anarchy. But he said this matter of wisdom from above, no, the goal of the individual is not to cause disruption. The goal of the individual that with this kind of wisdom is to bring about peace, to be a peacemaker. And then he says, second of all, it is gentle. I made a typo in your bulletin there. It's not Gentile, but it is gentle. And the word gentle that he uses there is a word that means to be courteous. It means to be considerate. The idea is to make allowances for the feelings of others. Now, how many times have you ever heard someone say, or maybe you said to yourself, well, this, listen, I don't care what so-and-so thinks about it. I don't care how what so-and-so feels about it. This is what I believe. This is what I'm going to do. I don't care if they get mad. I don't forget, care if they get upset. I don't care if it hurts them or not. This is what I'm going to do. This is why I'm going to do it. This is why I want to do it, and I'm going to do it. Again, I don't care who it hurts and who it makes mad. Wisdom, when wisdom that comes from God is a wisdom that is gentle, it does take in consideration the feelings of other people. It does take in consideration whether or not you'll hurt someone or offend someone else. It does take in consideration and make allowances for the feelings of other people. It's not just you doing your own little thing. It's you glorifying God in your life. And sometimes in the process of glorifying God, you have to make allowances for other people and for their feelings. It is gentle. Amen? Thirdly, he says, it is easily or easy to be entreated. The word entreated there means being willing to yield, not being stubborn. It has the ideal of uh, being willing to receive instruction. In fact, it was a military term. As a military term, talking about a soldier that willingly followed instructions, easily to be entreated. Someone that willingly, without any problem whatsoever, submitted to the instructions that was given. When a person is wise in this God-given wisdom, it doesn't make a person rebellious and doing their own little thing. It makes a person easily entreated, willing to yield, not stubborn, but yielding to what is right and what, and what God wants. But then he says it's full of mercy. That is, it reaches out to others in kindness. You know, a person that's living for their own self, all they think about is themselves. 
That's a worldly wisdom. But the wisdom that comes from above, it makes an individual thoughtful of others. We talked about how it makes allowances for the feelings of other people. But someone that has this wisdom from above, they're thinking about others. They reach out to others. They're full of mercy. Brother Eddie talked about mercy. Sunday in his message, Sunday morning in his message, reaching out in mercy, doing good to others. When someone has this kind of wisdom, they're full of mercy. Then he also adds, and good fruits. That is, they're full of good works. They're full of good deeds. Instead of bad deeds, such as strife and envying and all these things, there's good works, there's good deeds. And then he says it's without partiality. The word literally means to be unwavering. It's a word that describes not being divided. Like we would talk about discrimination. And by discrimination, we would say we have this opinion about one race of people and we have this opinion about another race of people we're divided we don't have an equal feeling or an equal opinion of others or equal respect for one race over the other that's discrimination but james says that wisdom that is from above is without impartiality or without partiality it doesn't have a division it's not parted in any way fashion or form that there's an equal respect for everyone when it comes to this wisdom and then he said it's without hypocrisy Hypocrisy is an interesting word here. He's saying it's without insincerity. And I say it without insincerity because hypocrisy, the word hypocrite is an interesting word in the Bible. It is a word that literally, literally described an actor in a play or an actor on a stage. Talk about a hypocrite or you talk about an actor on the stage, say, for example, here's a play on the life of George Washington. Say we were having a play here, and we said we'd have a play here on the life of George Washington. And we chose one of you to be George Washington. And so some, one of you would act out the part of George Washington. Now you're acting out the part of George Washington. You're using the words of George Washington. You're wearing a wig to make you look like George Washington, whatever. But are you George Washington? No, you're not George Washington. You're pretending to be somebody that you're not. That's an actor playing out a part. That's where the word hypocrite comes from. It is someone pretending to be something they're not. And James says that when, person, when a person is wise and they have this wisdom from above, there'll be, there'll be a mark of sincerity about their life. There'll be a mark of truth about their life. It won't be marked by hypocrisy. It won't be marred by insincerity, pretending to be one thing, but in reality, there's something else. He said, no, this wisdom from above is without hypocrisy. And the whole result of it in verse 18, and the fruit of righteousness, again, that's wisdom, righteous, coming to the right conclusions, righteous, godly conclusions. He said, it's sown in peace of them that make peace. In other words, they produce what they Produce. Now, let me ask you this question. James began this section by asking the question, who's a wise man? I don't respond in any way, but if I were to ask you tonight, how many of you consider yourself a wise person? I wonder how many of you would raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't respond in any way. I wouldn't want you to do that. I'm not sure that we could do that. I said we could do that. You notice that? And, uh, but, uh, but are we wise? Are we wise? Are we wise? Are we endued with knowledge? Do we look at life from an eternal viewpoint? Do we govern our life from eternal perspectives? Do we let our lives be shaped 
and molded by what God says in His Word and what God's will for our life is and what God's work for our life is, His plan and purpose for our life. Do we allow ourselves to be controlled by all these things and then have the ability to understand everything from an eternal perspective? Go back to James 1, verse 5. James chapter 1, verse 5. We looked at this in our second study of the book of James. He said in James 1, 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. All men. You realize tonight that you can be wise? You say, I don't have but a fourth grade education. That's not what I ask you. I said tonight, you can be wise. You can be wise. He said, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally. Understanding the importance of wisdom. Then tonight, let's ask God to make us wise people. Amen? Look at your prayer sheet for tonight. Our missionary of the week is Jim and Jan Ammons. Of course, this is one of our own families here. And we've been praying a lot for Jim. And, of course, there's a lot of unrest in Nigeria at this moment. Last time I spoke to Jim, uh, most of the unrest is in the northern part to the north of where they are. But there is all this growing unrest, uh, the Muslims and all that, growing number in Nigeria. We need to pray for Jim and Jan. They're trying to raise money. We've been trying to help them raise money to buy them a vehicle. And uh, I wrote all of his supporting churches a letter. And so we've been able to get about $6,500. And they need about twelve dollars to $15,000. So we're about halfway there, and we rejoice in that. But let's remember Jim and Jan, five missionaries. We love them. Let's remember them tonight in prayer. Our church of the week is Camp Creek Baptist Church in Liberty, South Carolina. Brother Bo Mackey. Many of you remember Bo, his little daughter... Uh, we one prayed for it several years ago. Let's remember Bo. And then, of course, in the hospital, Jim Elkins at Memorial Hospital, Regina Berry's mother, Lois Roberts at Memorial, Kenneth Long at Parkridge Hospital, and then a special request uh, for Mazette's daughter. Mazette, one of our members, her daughter has some real needs in her life. We want to lift her up in prayer tonight and be praying for her. So all of you will, let's come. Let's ask God to bless the Ammons tonight. Let's ask God to bless... Camp Creek Baptist Church in Bomaki, the sick. And then tonight say, God, I want to be a wise person. Ask God for wisdom tonight. Ask God to give you wisdom. Let's pray. Our Father, tonight in Jesus' name, as we seek your face in prayer, we come tonight, first of all, on the behalf of others. We pray for Jim and Jan. Thank you for them. We're blessed of you to have them as part of our family. And we lift them up tonight as the Scripture, the story in the Bible held the ropes of Paul. We hold them up tonight and lift them up to you to meet their need in a country that is torn with strife and unrest. I pray you protect Jim and Jan to bless them physically and their physical needs. Thank you for the work you've done through them. Thank you for Temple Baptist Church in Nigeria, for the college and all the things going on there. We ask you to bless them tonight and use and meet every need. Then you know his need for a vehicle tonight. You know how desperately he needs this vehicle. Thank you, Lord, for the money you've already sent in. I pray, dear God, that you touch the hearts of others to make special contributions to Jim and Jan to help them to be able to get the vehicle. 
Father, every time turn around, the old van they have breaking down on them, how dangerous that is out on the roads. I pray you would bless and supply the need. But use Jim and Jan. Thank you again for them. Then for Camp Creek Baptist Church in South Carolina, bless Brother Bo. I pray, Lord, you'd prosper his ministry. Bless him when he preaches your word. May the hand of God be on the church. Let it grow. Bless his family. Thank you for taking care of his children, for the miracles you've done there. Thank you, Lord, for him. His heart, desire for you. Bless them, Lord, and use him. Then for our folk that are in the hospital tonight that are sick, we pray you bless them and meet every need. And then, Father, we ask you, Lord, to continue to bless here. Bless all the things that are going on. Bless our plans for building. Lord, thank you for supplying every need and working every little detail out. We thank you for all of these things. We ask you to continue to move, to continue to meet needs, to provide all that we have or all that we need, Lord, in order to do and help us, Lord, to be able to get things going with the fall. You know the need that we have. Thank you, Lord, for Sunday and how this place was absolutely packed. You know we need the room, and we ask you, God, to continue to bless it and let us do more for you. And all that we try to do, winning others to Christ, and all these things, bless these things. And all the things that are going on, I pray you'd use us and keep us close to you. Father, may we realize tonight that we need heavenly wisdom, that this is your church, and that we must operate according to your plans and purposes. And so help us to stay true to you. And then tonight we ask you to give us wisdom. You told us to ask you for wisdom, that if we lack wisdom to ask for it. And so we come tonight to ask you for wisdom. The ability, Lord, to see things from your perspective, the ability, Lord, to come to the conclusions that are right and pleasing in your eyes. Lord, give us wisdom tonight. Help us always, Lord, to be wise. So, Father, bless in all these things. We thank you again for your goodness and for all you're doing now. In the lovely name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Praise the Lord. May God make us all wise. See, I believe the Golden Agers, they meet in the morning. Is that right, Floyd? Is that tomorrow? Golden Agers meeting tomorrow at 11 o'clock. And then someone told me that uh, Katie Lindsay and Wanda Lawler both have celebrating their 25th birthday today. So happy birthday to them. And then uh, Friday night, Faith Banquet. Don't, remember, don't forget that. If you've been in faith or interested in learning more about faith, it's for anybody that wants to come and learn about it. And so we praise the Lord for it. One just note to praise the Lord for, one of the things we were seeking in the new building is the rezoning of this piece of property that we're sitting on here. Our properties are somewhat funny. The back part, the boulevard side, was zone C1, which is commercial. This part on this side... Zone R2, which is residential. Church can build in residential, but in residential you have all kinds of setbacks, and we could not get the building in the lot next door with those kind of setbacks, so we filed the rezone it to C1. You have three hearings, and it went through our first hearing yesterday or Monday, so it passed the first hearing. So everybody tells me if you get past the first one, it's a formality. So that eliminates variances that we have to get and all that kind of stuff. So that's good news. We praise the Lord for that. Amen. And so every little thing's falling in place and things are going on. And I know sometimes you're anxious to see more visible results, but believe me, no grass is growing under our feet in this thing. It's just a, a lot of things to be done, a lot of things we're working on. Meeting with the civil engineer tomorrow to start laying out parking plans for all of our parking lots and things like that. So uh, hopefully we can start adding additional parking here very, very shortly. And so all these things are falling into place. And 
It's very, very exciting. Let's all stand to our feet. God is good. And let's remember that and be back on Sunday anticipating the Lord to give us a great day. Visitation tomorrow night at 7, Faith Banquet Friday night at 7 as well. You're dismissed. See you on the Lord's Day.